become a highwayman again Or I may simply be a single drop of rain But I will remain And I'll be back again and again and again for a very very uh, simple reason i just realized in a few months it'll be the 30th anniversary and my dad and i were in the press pit of the highwaymen uh concert at central park now lou terminello um i kind of love that song because i feel this podcast is leaving a legacy behind with everybody i've had on and and you know you're part of this and so i don't know i just i felt something when i realized it's 30 years since i saw that concert are you a highwayman fan are you a johnny cash fan uh, I am not a Johnny Cash fan. I I admire his music, um, but uh, I wasn't there that night with like you and your dad were. <laughs> and I was yay years old, so uh, it was it was just a little memory I had because every time I think of that, I'm like, wow, I used to wear black for Johnny Cash. But I will tell you who's leaving a legacy behind. It's the new Bears president and CEO, and of course, I'm wearing Bears tonight, but. He was the Big Ten commissioner just yesterday, it felt like. Kevin Warren. And, you know, we don't talk about commissioners that much, Lou, but on Terminello's take for this week, let's start there. Um, why did the Big Ten Network run a whole day of this big signing of him going to the, the Bears as president and CEO? I mean, look, he already set up the Big Ten pretty damn good with a TV deal worth $7 billion with Fox, CBS, NBC. He did leave a bit of a legacy, didn't he? Without question, what you just mentioned, that TV deal uh, has brought the Big Ten to an even higher level as they move forward into the next decade. Uh, the, the Big Ten on Saturday is going to be dominating uh, college football with Fox at 12, the 3.30 game to CBS, and the 7.30 game to uh to NBC, and I don't know if you saw who got the uh, the play-by-play gig for the 7:30 national game on NBC. Um, Noah Eagle, Ian Sun, wow. got 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 the play-by-play gig for uh, the uh, Saturday night primetime NBC game, and Todd Blackledge is leaving ESPN to be his color commentator. Um, so that's. Saturday's going to be quite a day for the Big Ten uh, uh, as they uh, as they have really just monopolized the three major networks with uh, with their games. But Kevin Warren did a great job, and it had been rumored that the Bears were going after him. Uh, I know he's greatly regarded in, 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 on the college level. Uh, I know some people, especially with these with these with this conference. Um, realignment and and uh, things of that nature i know that some of the conferences were talking to him about some kind of partnership uh, i know the big 12 was uh talking to him about doing doing some stuff together i don't know how that's going to continue on now that he's gone uh whoever gets the job as a successor it's going to be in a good it's going to be in a good position because he laid down uh uh, a great, a lot of groundwork, and he did a lot of good things in a, a short period of time. Um, now, Delaney, before so, him, was he the one that arranged the Rutgers, or did he 
Because I think Rutgers has been on longer than Kevin Warren was in the Big Ten, right? Yes, they have. I mean, R- Rutgers came in their first year in the Big Ten, I think, was 14-15. They were 13-14. They were in the uh, the remnants, the football schools that, that, that left the Big East and uh, in the... Uh, in the American Athletic Conference. They were there for a year, and then they joined the Big Ten. The Rutgers had been trying to get into the Big Ten since the 90s, even when they joined the Big East from the Atlantic Ten. Um, they were they were always trying to get into, they always thought that the, the Big Ten was the place for them, and, uh, uh, you know, that's where, that's where they've been. Ironically, one of the names I saw for... Uh, potential, and there was a whole list of names, uh, was uh, Tim Pernetti, the former Rutgers tight end. Uh, he was with Rutgers. Uh, he was athletic director for a while, um, and his name was mentioned. He, he, was a, he was one of the finalists for the Big 12 uh, commissionership that went to Brent Yormark. Um, so uh, it, the college sports is at a breakneck pace with the way things are going on that have never been seen before and the Big Ten is a super conference and Kevin Warren deserves a lot of credit for that. Well do you think he'll be, USC and UCLA are definitely joining the Big Ten right? Is that official? That's correct. So is that going to be 2024. Is that going to be a good mark on him or will people start to cringe even more once once we actually see how they do in Big Ten play? I mean I was kind of uh, I don't know how you felt about it, but I was a little like, why are they going all the way from Pac-12 to the Big Ten? Like, why make them go to the West Coast? Well, I think they did it because of money. Mm. Um, that, you know, they'll be able to ex- expand their brands, both UCLA and, and, and uh, USC. I think it's good for the Big Ten. And I don't think expansion is over. Mm. I think mm. there'll be some other schools that will bridge that geographic gap between the Pacific Coast and, let's see, Iowa, I guess, would be the the team that's the most furthest west, or if you're, if you're in Los Angeles, the furthest east. They might, they might need to, to close that, that gap. And uh, I don't know if they do with, with, with Utah uh, and an Arizona state, something like that. But this is not over. The, these... Uh, these uh, expansion situations are not over. You know, you've heard Oregon and Washington going to uh, uh, the big uh, the Big Ten, um, but uh, be beware of, of uh, the Big Twelve. They're going to be very aggressive in the next year or two with this expansion situation. All right. Well, we'll see how the Big Ten uh, maintains itself as a Big Ten with all these other schools coming in. But I've got to ask you this because let's go to the Bears. Well, let's finish up this conversation on the commissioners first. I feel like coaches are the ones that always get the accolades. I mean, Harbaugh and, and you know, <coughs> around the conference, uh, Shiano. I mean, it's, it's always about the coaches. And even in the Big East, commissioners are always sort of behind the scenes, aren't they? But clearly, they play a big role. So, I mean, should we be looking at who these commissioners are a little more in depth after this move? I would say so, yes. Like I just mentioned, uh, uh, the Big 12. Brett Yormark, who I used to work with at the Nets, he's very aggressive. He's a visionary. Uh, he uh, is not going to let anything stand in his way to improve the Big 12 uh, conference. I know he's been in talks with some teams uh, to, to come over, some 
I would call them teams, some schools to come over. Uh, he's talked to Gonzaga to come in on the basketball side. There's a lot going on. And uh, the commissioners mean a lot. But in college, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, the, the, the coaches are the stars. Uh, the Kirby Smart, Luce, uh, Nick Saban, they're the stars. Uh, of of college football, Harbaugh. Yeah, they're the stars. Well, they're the know, face. They're the face of the school. They're the face of the franchise. And I know because players come and go, especially in college. Everybody's eyes they're are there for on two years and they're gone. In basketball, they're there for one year and they're gone. Everybody's eyes are always on the Notre Dame coach too. Like I mean, when when Brian Kelly left, we were like, well, what's going to happen next? Well, Freeman did a damn good job, I thought, coming in. To replace him, uh, not only at the bowl game, but then a year later, a whole year with him, and they won with Buckner, who was actually their first quarterback of the year until I think, and he must have got hurt because Drew Pine took over, went to the transfer portal. Buckner comes back looking fresh and had a good game, I thought, uh, you know, in that bowl game there. So, and they just signed uh, Sam Hartman uh, out of the transfer portal out out of Wake Forest, who's a very good quarterback and is an upgrade at the quarterback position for Notre Dame going into 2024. Maybe Tom and uh, less uh, blow less blood vessels up in the uh, coordinator's booth this year. We'll have to see. But I want to focus on the Bears because, as you know, my dad's a huge Bear fan, and I think today was a fresh take because the, Justin Fields had an unbelievable year with his legs. He was running all over the place. They just could not put it together defensively. What can Kevin Warren do to bring the defense to the, you know, make him the monster of the midway again? Well, he does have the number one pick. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see what, what they do. Do they believe in Justin Fields? He has to improve his, his throwing ability. Uh, yeah, he ran for over 1,000 yards, and he's a great athlete. Uh, but um, they have to improve their defense, like you said. Um, they have to decide. Maybe Kevin Warren doesn't think that Justin Fields is the answer at quarterback. Do they trade that pick for multiple picks? Do they trade the number one pick to get a, to go to a team to get to that might have multiple first-round picks or multiple second-round picks? They need a lot of players. Maybe they parlay that one into two or three picks in the first couple of rounds. But um, you know they really they do they they do need a lot of, they do need a lot of help obviously, um, and in a, in a, and in a league where quarterback play is so important, but really is right now, and we've talked about this before. There aren't that many great quarterbacks in the NFL. There really, I mean you you have the three in the you have the three in the AFC who are su- superstars, Mahomes, Burrow, Justin Herbert. Uh, if all goes right, Lawrence should join him next year. And mm-hmm. in the NFC, all right, you got the old guys, Brady and Rodgers, but they're on the end of the uh, their careers. And uh, Jalen Hurts, okay, maybe, but he's not in. He's not in the class of the, the, the first three I mentioned. He's just not. Well, I, I, I mean. Think- Oh, go ahead. I, I, I also think... Kirk Cousins is good. You know, he's solid. But every... I tell, as I, we said a couple of weeks ago, 15, 16 teams are going to be looking for a quarterback. 
Well, there are two names I want to throw out there for you. I want to throw out Tyler Huntley, who actually might end up, who looks like he might be the quarterback right on Sunday for Lamar Jackson. I, I just get flashbacks. Two quarterbacks that are mainstream, everyday quarterbacks are now not going to play in the wild card. I don't remember that happening, but Tua's got concussion issues still, and, and of course, Lamar's got an injury as well. I feel like we're seeing a Brady setup. Maybe not, but, you know, you give a guy a chance to try, and you never know, right? So these guys could actually have a quite a game this Sunday as a backup. You're, you're, you're right. Um, I don't think Baltimore even with Lamar Jackson, and they're going to miss him greatly, obviously. He gives a, a different dimension uh, that other players, besides maybe Justin Field, is the closest to Lamar Jackson in that type of situation. So, I mean, they're going to, hey, they're going to miss Lamar Jackson. And I think I think the, the Bengals are going to be loaded for bear, as they say. They're going to be ready to play. And anything that happened last weekend in any of the games – just flush it down the toilet. Last weekend was almost, it was like a glorified exhibition season for the most part. Most of those games were terrible last weekend. So anything that happened in those games, don't even, don't even think it can carry over into this week. It can't, in my opinion. Um, I know Cincinnati and uh, Baltimore played last week, and uh, it was a competitive game for the most part, but the final score made it look competitive. It was 17 nothing. Cincinnati, and yes, Baltimore did come back, you know, with third-string quarterback Anthony Brown, but uh, Cincinnati's not going to let that happen this weekend. I would be surprised if Cincinnati doesn't have a solid win uh, this uh, this week, even if Lamar Jackson was healthy, and if Lamar Jackson's ready to play, he's going to have six months, uh, six months, excuse me, six weeks of rust on him. So mm-hmm. Cincinnati's in good shape in their game on Sunday night. Um, Miami is going to. Get, I can't see Miami being competitive at Buffalo unless Buffalo plays down to, to the competition for a while. But it's not going to happen for four quarters. Buffalo is primed. They're ready. Um, they uh, are playing not only for their city, for themselves, for DeMar Hamlin. Mm-hmm. That All that factors in. They're playing, after losing that incredibly tough game to Kansas City, in the playoffs last year, I would be shocked if Miami's competitive uh, in the second half of that game on Sunday. Well, you know what? Uh, those two, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I think you're right. I think, uh, by the way, I have a thought on last week's uh, games in a second, but look, I think the Bills can ride high on the fact that DeMar Hamlin's home. I think there's a big, big uh, momentum with that high right there, and I think they're going to take it into Sunday. I really do. Oh, I, I think that does mean something. I, I really do think th- that it, it really means something for them uh, as they prepare, uh, you know, for these playoffs. And uh, they're going to, they're playing for him, with him, um, you know, in their hearts. And then, you know, that helps. I mean, that makes a difference. There's no doubt about it. Now, I know you want to know about uh, Trevor Lawrence, and I got to tell you about this game on Saturday night. Uh, Chargers to Jaguars, you know who's calling it, right? Al Michaels is going to be calling the game on NBC this week, and I'm very excited to hear that. Yes, well, uh, after uh, one of the deals that uh, when he went to Amazon, I guess NBC said that, uh, you know, come playoff time, if we ever 
needed an extra uh, uh, broadcaster for the playoffs that he would uh, uh, be doing doing the game. And obviously, I think he's as good as anybody who's ever called play-by-play uh, at the NFL level. To me, him and, and the late Dick Enberg uh, are probably, I'd have them as 1-1-A. That's just my opinion. Obviously, I've heard a lot of great uh, broadcasters, Kurt Gowdy and Pat Summerall um, and Keith Jackson, who did pro for a while. He, everybody forgets Keith Jackson was the first play-by-play man of Monday Night Football. Um, you know, there's a lot of great, a lot of great announcers. Iron Eagle, obviously. Uh, there's a lot of great announcers, but uh, so far, uh, I, I still have to put uh, Al and the late great Dick Enberg as one one A. That's like I said. That's just my opinion. And Tony Dungy. But that's an interesting game, the Chargers and Jacksonville. And um, I think the Chargers have a load of talent. If they can stop the run, which they which has been a problem all year, um, they they should uh, be competitive. And I think I think I think they have a very good chance of winning on on a Saturday night in, in Jacksonville. I actually think that if you put the Chargers in the NFC, they'd be right up there with the, with the with the Eagles. The difference between the AFC and the NFC in these playoffs is is wide. Hmm. It's 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 very wide. Well, and just because I, I feel like the AFC is sort of like the National League, they play a little more small ball than the NFC. I don't know why, but I just I feel like they play a little more conservative. Am I right in that? I it just. Well, well, I wouldn't wouldn't say conservative. No, I would not say conservative. Uh, Obviously, when you have have offenses like Kansas City and Buffalo and Cincinnati, they're not conservative. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers remind me of Dallas as far as their inconsistency goes. Um, But Herbert is better than Dak Prescott. And... um, I feel like Dak had a bit of a downswing this year, and I, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was injury, but it just seemed like they had these near misses that would end up be winning wins. But overall, and of course they lose to the Jaguars down the stretch, which was the most shocking loss for them all season. I thought. I mean, what happened to the Cowboys? It's just they don't have a rhythm. It seems like. Well, as you know, we've heard on these other shows uh, that we've done. I have been critical of the Cowboys all season. They're not consistent. They don't come ready to play. Uh, I know Sunday Sunday was, uh, they still were playing for seeding. And they came out and they were absolutely abysmal against a terrible Washington uh, team. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was stunning uh, that that they've been so inconsistent this year I don't know who's winning Monday night I really can't make a prediction uh, because Dallas is so inconsistent and Jackson uh, and uh, Tampa has been the only reason they made the playoffs is because Brady pulled a couple of games out of out of the hat so uh, um, I don't know who's winning that game I mean Dallas is more talented they have the better roster but they've been so consistent. You just mentioned the Jacksonville game. They were up, they were up 27 to 10 uh, late third quarter. 
they were 14 points at Green Bay in mm-hmm. the fourth quarter, and they lost that game. So we'll see. I mean, Dallas is a little bit of a an enigma, but really not because they've been inconsistent all season. If you notice, by the way, we're 20 minutes into this, and we haven't talked about uh, the national championship game, and that's because there's not much to talk about. Setson Bennett did what he did. I think the overall score was surprising, but no one really thought TCU would win the title game, right? So it was it sort of played out as planned, except for the big score. Right. No, no, you're you're 100% correct. Um, nobody, no, you can't pick 65 to 10. Excuse me, 65 to seven in a game of that magnitude uh, when two teams are playing for the championship. But this is all you needed to know. Uh, Georgia had 66 four or five star recruits on their team. Um, TCU had 16. That's all you need to know. Oh. And uh, they just they were just they're deeper, they're better, they were more skilled. They were on a mission, and uh, the game was over before it started. And you could see that in the ratings. Uh, first quarter, 23 million people watching the game. By 10 15, 10 million people were watching <laughs> the game because it was 58 to 7. <laughs> well, I know, I know one game that, um, one game, one team that's been getting ratings is, is actually Rutgers basketball. I've got to get to them real quick. B- well, we'll get to Rutgers in a second because they're, they're standing out right now. But I want to tell you what my frustration was in Week 18. Why didn't the Giants at least play the starters for a quarter or two? I thought benching them threw momentum off into this weekend. I thought they should have played at least a little bit heading into the playoff weekend. Or am I crazy because, oh, my God, we can't get someone hurt. But these guys got to play to get ready for the playoffs, no? Well... That's that's the age-old question. Do you play or do you not play, guys, when you're locked into your your position? I think Brian Dable did the right thing uh, on, uh, on, on Sunday. He rested his key guys. Look what happened in, uh, with the Chargers. They were locked in. Mike Williams suffered a back injury. They say he's going to play on Saturday night, but who knows how effective he's going to be. Another another player got hurt, and I forgot. I can't remember for which game. Another another starter got hurt for somebody. I would I think he did the right thing um, because the Giants didn't want Barkley hurt or Jones hurt or Anthony Thomas hurt. Their their great uh, left tackle. Uh, they rested a couple of other guys. They did the right thing. Uh, I think they have a great chance of winning on. Saturday, on Sunday, I told you when they played the Vikings the first time, I thought they had a great chance to win. I think it's a good matchup for them. They got beat. They got beat on December fourth on a sixty-one yard field goal. I think the game is going to be higher scoring. Mm. The Giants don't have a great offense, but I think it's going to be a high scoring game. I think it could be like a thirty-five, thirty-one game. Um, because I'll take it a step further, you had said before the game. That they were going to be actually doing this in the NFC Wild Card, and look how right you were. I, yeah, you know, I, I did, and uh, I think they have a great chance of winning. I mean, I think, hey, it's it's a toss-up game, but the Giants, a couple of Minnesota's weaknesses play into the Giants' strengths. Minnesota has trouble stopping the run. 
the I think the Giants are going to feed the ball to Barkley. I think he'll carry the ball more this week than he's carried any other game this year. Um, I also because the one thing that uh, they want to do is they want to keep the ball out of Cousins' hands, and even even three weeks ago on December fourth, Jefferson had thirteen catches. Hawkinson had ten catches. Um, you know, I have Dalvin Cook. Uh, you don't want you don't want short possessions if you're the Giants' offense. Uh, and the one thing that plays into the Giants' favor also, Wink Martindale likes to blitz. The Giants blitz a lot, and Minnesota's offensive line has some injuries. They're not that great to begin with. They're not that strong, and I'm sure we're going to see a lot of. A, a lot of blitzes on. I also think uh, they're going to see an actual Sunday. made interception, meaning they had two possible interceptions. One was taken away by penalty. One was a drop at the after replay. I think they will intercept Kirk Cousins this week. I've got a feeling that that will happen because their defense was pretty strong against them last time. They just have to secure the ball. And uh, Bellinger also had to secure the ball a little better. And, hey, Reggie, uh, uh, Reggie, remember uh, James... He caught the ball the last few weeks after all those drops in Minnesota, so he's improved since that game for the Giants. So I'm, I'm a little more confident. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a three-point, it's a three-point favorite for Minnesota. I think the game's a toss-up. Uh, the team that makes the uh, the least amount of t wins a turnover battle, and I think the time of possession is key for the Giants to win. I, I really think they have a great chance of winning on on Sunday. I really do. Um, now, Minnesota. If they if Minnesota gets off to a you know a, a fast lead and they could, um, the Giants really uh, have some issues on their defensive side of the ball, uh, especially against the pass. So we'll see. But I think the I think the Giants are in good shape here. I, and you'll see a lot of run pass options with with Daniel Jones. They'll use his, his athletics athleticism. Um, I, I, this is going to be a good game. This is going to be one of the, I think it should be one going in one of the better games of the, of, of the weekend. By the as way, as far as competitiveness, it's an all New York day on Sunday too. You got the Giants and the Bills. I, I'm very excited to see them play back to back. All right, I also think the Vikings are the shakiest home team in the NFC. I think the Buccaneers have a better chance than the Vikings. I just I don't know. Uh, I both, think you're right. They're both the craziest teams going into this thing, though the way they've been. On and off. But I've got to talk about this team because obviously you saw Geno as a Jet. You saw Geno Smith against him, against the Jets, against this, you know, as a Seahawk this year. Look, he has made that Seahawk team much improved. I, you know, I don't know how, but he just shaped up a bit up in the upper Northwest with Pete Carroll. And they're going to give the Niners a run for their money. I really do believe it. But I think the Niners will, will come out victorious. And I think you do as well. Yeah, well, the uh, the only thing that uh, we disagree on, I unless and I know they're having some terrible weather in in Northern California, and that might change the uh, the competitiveness of the game. Um, if the game doesn't become a slog because of a uh, a muddy field, I I think San Francisco is going to win convincingly on um, on Saturday. Geno Smith has been terrific. He really has been. He's he led the NFL in uh, completion percentage. He's worked on his game. He's in his tenth year. 
uh, you know, he overcame some immaturity early on, and uh, he's been a godsend for them this year. They traded uh, Russell Wilson, and everybody said, what is Seattle doing? Well, that Seattle made a great trade because they have Denver's pick, which I believe is four. It's, mm-hmm. it's in the top five for sure. And, um, uh, you know, Geno Smith throws a nice pass. But we don't and have he has great pick. receivers mm-hmm. in Metcalf and Lockett. I just can't I, – I mean, I, I really can't see them. I would say in the fourth quarter we'll know that San Francisco's got the game in hand. I know that you were talking about Brock Purdy, and you were a little unnervous about him earlier on in the year when he had to take over for Garoppolo, but here he is. It's time to shine. And believe it or not, he's gaining some comparison, I'm reading here on NBC Sports, to Joe Montana. And kid's pretty young. I, I don't know. I haven't seen enough to know for sure. And you obviously will have watched the Niners a little bit more maybe – over the year, uh, but Purdy is the guy, is he not, this weekend to see how he does? I, I think Purdy's the guy, not only this weekend, I think moving forward into next year, uh, Garoppolo is unrestricted free agent, so they can't franchise him, he's going to go somewhere else. Um, they obviously are not giving up on on, um, on the kid, um, who they drafted three overall, but uh, Trey Lance, but Trey Lance is going to be in for uh, for competition, and I'm not just going to hand them the uh, the starting the, the starting position at quarterback next year. Purdy is that good? I don't know. I don't know if he's a flash in the pan. We'll see. Remember, now that we're in the playoffs, and as we as teams advance in the playoffs, um, pressure gets a little more intense, and you, you'll see these guys. Uh, if they succumb under pressure or or not, uh, we'll see. But I think Purdy, Purdy's been a godsend for him. When Garoppolo got hurt, I said, "Oh, they're done," and boy, was I wrong. And I think the Forty ers with Kyle Shanahan and his staff, I think they're the best coach team in the league this year. I do. Well, they definitely, uh, I, I guess you'd say, have discipline. They've always been. They've always been the team that's sort of been a little more consistent all every year. It's just when it comes to playoffs, something changes. Even with Garoppolo at the helm, it's not been good after the first round. So maybe this year will be different. We'll have to see. Um, I want to move on to something else because obviously, as I mentioned, Rutgers, uh, we're seeing them win in basketball. And I know it's a big sh- shift, but but I got to bring this up because on my mind, and you're a Jersey guy, you're following both Rutgers and Seton Hall, but... Come on, Rutgers again winning. I, this team with Cam Spencer, tell, tell me what you're seeing about the Rutgers Scarlet Knights this year. Well, uh, I watched a lot of the game last night, and uh, they play the same way all the time, down and dirty defense. <laughs> you know you're not going to get an easy shot against Rutgers. All, their defensive analytics have them as – third overall in the country and um, they've done some nice things with with uh, this transfer Cam, Cam Spencer from Loyola of Maryland. The kid was one of these walk-ons. I guess you could say he was a Stenson Bennett type of guy. He was not a five-star recruit or a four-star recruit and uh, he has hit a big three against the number one team in the country a couple last week when they upset Purdue and uh, he hit one last night. 
uh, to uh, uh, win the game on the road at Northwestern. They're 12 and five. They're they're uh, they have two losses in the conference. They're four and two in the conference. They should be five and one because they lost on that ridiculous call, and it wasn't even a call at the rim. Uh, there was a, a Rutgers, uh, an Ohio State player standing three feet out of bounds, and um, three uh, three guys, the three officials missed it, and uh, it's just surprising to see that three how three guys could miss a call that obvious. But anyway, I mean, with veterans like Paul Mulcahy, who is so tough, and he hits big shots, and he's not afraid, uh, he's a senior. And um, Kel McConnell, who was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year or on the old Big Ten first team last year, he, uh, they're, gonna, they're, they're, in it for, they're in it for the whole season. They're on their way to another NCAA uh, bid if they keep going the way they do and don't suffer any injuries. Uh, the rack is a place where the fans are rabid. It's a great place to play. But uh, the Big Ten as a whole is very, very difficult. Really, any team can beat any other team on any given night. But uh, Rutgers has done a has done an extraordinary job. Uh, they they really have. Uh, they're just so tough defensively. Um, and uh, getting this kid, this kid Cam Spencer has just been tremendous. Right. For them. And the backstory on on Steve Pacal, wasn't he a New York area coach for a long time now? Or tell us a little bit about him that may not be aware of of the rise. Of Steve Pickell. Yeah, well, he, he, before Rutgers, he was at Stony Brook, and uh, he uh, obviously one of the reasons why they have that nice new gym now is because uh, of his brilliance as a coach, which helped Stony Brook win games. And uh, uh, then he obviously took when he had a chance to coach a Big Ten team, he 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 took that opportunity at Rutgers, um, and he played at UConn. And uh, so he's familiar with this, this with this area. Uh, he's a terrific coach. He's a terrific coach, and uh, there's no reason to think that they're not going to get better and better as uh, t- as time goes on. Not only this year, but in, in future years. Uh, I mean, Rutgers basketball looks very, very promising. How about you and, know, uh, when we talk about the Big East, we talk about how St. John struggled against St. Seton Hall, but they finally get a win. Here of late, uh, look, I still think we're all, we're literally two months away from the tournament, which is hard to believe, but we're getting there. It's going to be a slog though for both teams, still, right? The the rest of the way, it just they don't seem to have rhythm on either team here. Um, Seeing Hall beat a pathetic Georgetown team the other night in front of nobody down in DC, and Georgetown for this last two three years have been so bad nobody goes to their games. Um, they won by 15, but Seton Hall didn't play didn't play a, a, a terrific game at all. Um, Dawes was good for them; he hit a lot of threes, opened up a good working margin for them. But Seton Hall has a lot of work to do. That uh, at this stage on January 12th, as we speak, they're not an NCAA team. Neither is St. John's, and St. John's is further along in their development. This is the first year for the for coach uh, for coach Holloway, um, and uh, not for Anderson. He's been there for four years, so they should be further along. 
unless something happens, and as we know, anything can happen in these tournaments uh, that gives the automatic bid. Seton Hall or St. John's do not look like they'll be playing in March Madness, at least not in the big tournament. Right, and St. John's now plays UConn on Sunday, and that's going to be a game to look out for. I don't predict, I, I can't predict an upset, but, I, you know, we just watch these games because you never know what's going to happen. So it'll be an interesting Sunday. I have not, it's weird, but I haven't followed as closely. I do get all the alerts, though, and of course, our mutual friend Gary Cohen won Sportscaster of the Year. I don't know if you caught that or not. I did not. So I believe you know, we know that uh, he's a very good not only baseball but basketball broadcaster, and he's coming off that shoulder injury. So, uh, um, good congratulations to Gary. Now, as we speak, um, I, overall tonight you got the Nets and the Celtics, two of the big titans of the Eastern Conference. I do think the Knicks and the Nets are going to be around this scene for a while. I just, I feel it every time both teams climb high into the 100-point range almost every game. I feel it when you see Durant and Irving in sync. I feel it when Jalen Brunson touches the ball. That's how good he is for the Knicks. Uh, look, they're going to be in this thing for a while past March and April, right? I mean, come on now. Well, it should be. A, the worst the Knicks should be. And I, uh, they, they got to be in at least the play-in tournament. They're not going to finish 11th, uh, that's for sure. If they do, then Tibbs is gone. <laughs> yeah. uh, if they finish 11th, uh, that's for sure. Uh, Brunson's been a big difference, especially in the last week when the Knicks lost after the Knicks won eight in a row, then they lost five in a row. Um, he's been terrific these last four games for them. These last five games for them. He's a, he's a very good player. I think right now he's even playing better than uh, the Knicks thought he was going to play. Um, he's, an, he's an excellent player. As far as the Nets go, the Nets are, were playing as good as any team in the league. They won 18 out of 20. Uh, they won 11 in a row. They, uh, they won uh, 21 out of 25. And then uh, Jimmy Butler rolls into Kevin Durant on, on Sunday night which is a, a devastating injury for the Nets. He's going to miss about a month. Hopefully that's all it is. But the Nets were a game behind the Celtics and had the second-best record in the NBA. Um, it's hard to overcome the loss of the guy who I thought was the MVP in the league so far this year. Um, so uh, we'll see what they do. I think they're in a little bit better shape than last year because – they have a coach who has them more organized in, in Jock Vaughn. Um, and the last year, Kyrie couldn't play some of the games because of the vaccine uh, mandate. So that should help a little bit. But th 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 it's going to be hard to win games out Durant. Durant is so good. He's such a great shot maker. Um, it's... It's going to be, it's going to be a tough How about the return of Joe Harris? Has he been a factor? Because I remember before he was pretty much invisible and then got injured, he was a big part of that 2020-2021 team that you know took a 2 nothing lead on the Bucks and then lost it after that. But he was a part of that run for a little bit. Well, uh, Joe Harris is getting better. His foot injury seems to be improving, and he's shooting much better 
from the perimeter, which the Nets need, uh, even when Durant comes back, if they could get some offense out of Ben Simmons, who really sees the floor well, he's a terrific passer. He's a terrific. I mean, he's a you know all NBA defender, um, but he just can't score. Alex. I mean, unless it's a a, a point blank lay or dunk, anything outside eight feet, it's like a twenty five footer for him. Mm. And that's they need they're gonna need they need some points from him, and that's a problem. But he's a he's a terrific he's a terrific player. As far as he's got a high basketball IQ, but his offensive game is his offensive game as far as scoring, it's not good. Luckily, he hasn't been as dramatic as it seemed to be in Philly. That's a good sign, right? I mean, yeah, that's a good sign, absolutely. All right, I gotta ask you this because another 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 game I followed was this past Saturday. You had the Rangers and Devils. Uh, back and forth, back and forth. Rangers are three one, then they lose the lead three all, then they lose the overtime to the Devils. I mean, look, Devils look for real every game, and the Islanders are climbing back here. Uh, but I kind of love the idea when the Rangers win and the Knicks win. At least the Garden's jumping here. I, I'm excited for that. Well, so, yeah, obviously, uh, if, when your team wins, it's it it uh, uh, it'll invigorate the building. That's for sure, and that Devils Ranger game on on Saturday was was an exciting one. If you're going going back to that, I love Jack Hughes. I mean, you, you see, we're seeing a kid who is turning into a superstar, uh, and he's only 21 years old, and uh, nobody in this market knows Jack Hughes. It's unbelievable, uh, but the kid is so good. I think he's the best hockey player of the three local teams in New York. I'm not counting uh, Shesterkin and Strokin. They're the two best players on their team, but out of the skaters, Jack Hughes, in my opinion, is a solid, so far this year, has been the best player, and I think he's only going to get better. Well, I thought, and and I, you know, I just think the turnaround of the Devils is something to write about, for sure, because... They didn't even draw the fans. They had $20 tickets. I heard suites were like 50 bucks last year. I mean, this is how bad it was. Now, sure. now prices are up. The Devils have turned it around. Um, obviously, it's not just because of Hughes, but he is the main factor. And I don't know. I think there's a culture change in, in New, New Jersey for sure. Well, there is. And, I mean, they they, uh, uh, they have a lot of good young players. Nico Heischer is a terrific player. Uh, he was another, you know, another high draft pick. Uh, uh, Jasper Brad is a terrific player. He scored that amazing goal. I mean, I've never, I've seen a lot of great slap shots in my lifetime, but he sh- his power pay goal to make it three to two went in and out of net so quickly. Uh, it was stunning. Uh, Vanacek has been terrific as as a goalie. They've always had goaltender problems the last four or five years. They're they're on their way. They they have they have a chance to be real good. Uh, the Rangers are an excellent team, and uh, the Islanders have the, the same problem that they've had for the last. Even when they were going uh, to the conference finals two straight years, they still don't score they, enough goals. They don't have that game breaker, that guy who can score. They don't have a Jack Hughes. They don't have a uh, because of Banajad. They don't have a guy like that or a Panarin. Now. Lou Lamorello, the general manager of the Devils, or excuse me, former man, general manager of the Devils, but now 
general manager of the Islanders, actually gave an offer to Panarin when he was a Columbus Blue Jacket free agent, was higher than the Rangers, but he wanted to play for the Rangers, Panarin. And uh, that would have made a big difference if Panarin was on the Islanders, that's for sure. They, Borzell's their best offensive player. He's a brilliant stick handler. He sees the ice, uh, but he needs help. The yeah. Islanders don't have that natural goal scorer. They need a couple of them. Well, I'll tell you the other, the other thing about um, the Isles. So tell me about Anders Lee. See, this is one guy I thought of a lot the last few years because they missed him with injury, with COVID. I mean, everything seemed to be hitting this guy. How has he been performing this year? And, of course, you know, Barzi's still consistent, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's getting these Yeah, no, Barzi's been great. He's averaging a point a game. And uh, he, uh, like I said, he sees the ice. He's a brilliant puck handler. But uh, if, they, if he was... If he was uh, shoveling the puck to uh, uh, a goal scorer, I think uh, he'd even be higher up on the uh, on the scoring uh, list. Uh, Andrews Lee, terrific player. Um, I mean, obviously, he's important on the power play. The Islanders' power play is putrid, and it's gone through these periods uh, for the last three, four years. Um, uh, again, you're not really taking advantage of a guy's size like Andrews Lee uh, if you, you know, on a power play, if you don't run a good power play, and that power play is bad. I will you say, know, mm-hmm. it cost them a chance to go to the finals two years ago, a finals which they would have won. Just a lot Remember, of they lost game seven to Tampa Bay, one nothing on a shorthanded goal. A lot of things went there, went wrong. I just, that, that, that puck off Pulak's stick, that one, that, that's the one that really gets me every time I think about those two years. But, uh, hey, you know, I don't know. I'm sure you were part of this, but uh, a millionth fan at UBS, I think to get a million fans in there a year in is pretty impressive, actually. Actually, when I heard that, I was actually surprised myself. I said, wow, that is, that is impressive. Because I was like, it's a year. They really are built, like, you know, Belmont, you could always see the track, and it kind of was dark every time. But now it's all lit up because of the arena. It looks totally different I, from the mm-hmm. parkway and everything. I've never seen it like that before, so that was interesting. But, yeah, a million fans. You got Niles back. Hey, and they're still, they're still somewhat in contention, aren't they, in January here? Oh, yeah. No, they're right there. They're right there. The Islanders are right there. I mean, it's going to be an interesting uh, uh, last four months of the season. The, the Eastern Conference of the NHL is a dogfight, and there's going to be a couple of good teams that aren't going to uh, going to make the playoffs. All right, I- I'm sure people are wondering, what about Lou's take on his favorite team of all, the Mets? Is this? I still think it's a good thing the deal fell apart with Correa, and I tell you why. Because why did it take three physicals to, for a team to finally sign him? That's the suspicious part to me, if I'm very honest with you, when it comes to Carlos Correa. Well, obviously, in the short term, it doesn't help the Mets. But probably in year 7, 8, 9, 10, <laughs> it, it, it probably would. Um, the Mets made a fair deal. They offered him $157.5 million guaranteed for six years. And then another $157.5 million over the next six years uh, based on his health. 
and um, they didn't want to go for it, and they went to Minnesota. A great signing for Minnesota, a steal for Minnesota, uh, no doubt about it. I mean, a small market team usually doesn't make that kind of deal. They did, and uh, I mean, it looks good for them. The American League Central is not a good division, so they'll they could contend this year. I know the last year they were under 500. Like I think they won 78, 79 games, but uh, yeah, it's it, it, it disappointing for the Mets because we want to see them win next year. But I think, I think both I'm, teams here in New York are going to compete for both. Well, mainly for Brian Reynolds. I mean, I know that Andrew McCutcheons have talked about with the Mets, but I think the guy you look for now is Reynolds, who just walked away from Pittsburgh after they offered him this unbelievable deal. Yeah, well, Pittsburgh controls them for another three years, and apparently what they're asking for, somebody said they're asking, they're they're treating um, Reynolds like he's Juan Soto. That's That's what they want. So I don't think he's going to get traded anytime soon. Um, I think he'll get traded eventually, may, oh, unless they sign him. And you know these things, as we saw with Carlos Correa, these things uh, uh, can change. Uh, but um, they say that the, the Pirates are holding out right now, and they could. There's no reason for the Pirates uh, to uh, rush into making a deal, if, if any. They, they control the guy for the next three years. What is he going to do, not play? He's a young guy. Um, you know what's so, sad about that team is they still have, you know, they have a few veterans. They also have that kid who hit a bomb off the Mets last year, uh, their, their prospect, their draft pick, who actually formed pretty well. I mean, the Pirates have some talent. They have Ben Gamble, right? So, I mean, these guys, have the, they have a team. It's just they haven't put it together. I, I don't know what the answer is for them, but. Well, they have a, they well, they have some good young talent. They have the shortstop that you mentioned, um, and uh, they have Reynolds. Uh, they they have a, a talent a, a talent gap. So, uh, I, I won't, you're not going to see them in contention anytime soon. I assume they will trade Reynolds eventually. They're just waiting for uh, the right deal when when a team is desperate. You mentioned Andrew McCutcheon. Andrew McCutcheon is obviously nowhere the player that he that he was. Uh, can he be the Mets' right-handed DH? I guess he could perform well uh, at that at that uh, at that position. They need another right-handed stick. We'll see what they do. All right, I gotta ask you this: Did you hear the news about the other side of town? The uh, man named Aaron Judge. By the way, thanks to Sweeney Murdy for joining this podcast this week as well. See, it's a podcast network because I'm getting all these amazing voices on Lou Terminello, Sweeney Murdy, I mean, one after the other. Uh, but he and I talk about Aaron Judge, and sure enough, the captain is getting the key to the city. Did you hear about that? I didn't hear about that. Congratulations to Aaron Judge. He, Mayor Adams said, well, you know, he signed this big deal and he had this big season, why not? But I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Sweeney Murdy. Isn't a ring, a literal ring on his mind now after signing nine years? It's got to be. It's got to be. It's got to be. I mean, anything moving forward. He could hit 50 home runs this year. He could drive in 170 runs. It's all going to come down to playoff uh, baseball. That's what's going to come down, how he performs in the playoffs. And that's what Alex, unfortunately... It may not be fair, um, 
you know how it is around here. That's what it's going to be like. Well, yeah, and, the Phillies uh, are starting to boom in the postseason, which is just that's the Yankee fan way. I hate to say it. That's any New York fan way, actually, if you think about it. Yeah, and that, you know, sometimes it may not be fair, but that's what it's going to. That's what it's going to be. Um, that's what it's going to be. That's for sure. But, uh, and then some sad news to end with here. By the way, speaking of commissioners, I want to give a shout out to Bob Drano, who is the commissioner of the East Coast Conference, my Queens College Conference, and you know. He had me on the air uh, during a couple of postseason ba- uh, conference basketball games when the ECC tournament was on. So, Dranoff's included me in the whole fold, but he's just a great guy. And as you said earlier, movement, everybody behind the scenes at these conferences make the difference, right? That They got to be shouted out, even if it's at the E2 level as well. All these commissioners. Oh, I, I agree with you. They, 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 do, they deserve some accolades, no doubt about it. And that's why this podcast exists, to give people that I don't get the shout-out, the shout-out. And then, Lou, one last sad note, uh, Lisa Marie Presley's dead. I couldn't, I could not end the podcast without mentioning that breaking news, that the only daughter, the only child of Elvis has passed away. She suffered cardiac arrest coma. Pretty sad uh, note to end on, but that is the news um, to break. So she news. passed. Oh, yeah, I see it now, 31 minutes ago. Wow, that is that is very sad news. Pretty pretty stunning, actually, when you think about it. But oh my God, yeah, that that is a sad sad way to to end end the, end the podcast. Charles White, the, the Heisman Trophy winner, died of six at sixty four today, um, or yesterday uh, at USC, and he played nine years for the for the Rams and the Browns, a big time running back, and. Um, I think I think he passed away of cancer. So that's that's very way too young to to go. That's too very sad about Lisa Marie and Charles White. But on a good note, you know, uh, there's football. I I guess in that whole moment, there's still football to look forward to. There's still a big weekend of sports. And Lou, you are part of the reason why I rebranded this, the Alex Garrett Podcast Network, because it's a whole network we've got going on here, and you're definitely part of it week in and week out and I really appreciate you sir no problem it is, it is my pleasure a lot, of, a lot of interesting things coming up in pro football and uh, in the next couple of months obviously the Jets with a new offensive coordinator they're gonna, uh, that they're going to sign they're going to do something at the quarterback position uh, coaches Deshaun Payton where is he going to go um, <coughs> he has a, he's going to have his pick of the litter uh, that's for sure so a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, what, what are the Colts going to do? Is Jeff Saturday really going to be their coach? I doubt it. I was talking to somebody very close to the Indianapolis situation last week, and they were saying that uh, uh, the reason for the, all the coach problems is 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 Robert Irsay. He's just a little, he's a little crazy, and uh, right now he has that team in disarray. But uh, that's well, see, Sean Payton won't go to a situation like that. Because that's a crazy situation. Uh, I, I could see, I, got, I could see him going to Denver. I could also see, and if if McCarthy loses on Monday night, I can see Sean Payton getting that job. I can't see McCarthy surviving. I just can't. Uh, it is kind of crazy that he's um, living on the edge every game with the the Cowboys since he got there, really. So well, he is. That that's exactly right. He's living on the edge. We'll have to see what happens. But Lou. My goodness, it's been a great hour with you, friend, and we got to do this again next week. Uh, 
hopefully with some happy results for the tri-state area, huh? Uh, well, that would be good. It's always, better. It's always nice to talk about uh, when they're doing well, that's for sure. And you're giving me hope with the Giants, I'll tell you that. Your, your optimism is giving me, it's infectious, so I'm going to take that with me into the weekend. How about that? That sounds good to me. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to uh, able to provide that. <laughs> I'm Alex Garrett. That is the Terminello Take with Lou Terminello on the Alex Garrett Sports Spotlight.